0: Good morning. Um, if you have your Bible with you, if you want to go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. Now, there are many sayings that we use today that actually come from Scripture, and I want to share a couple, see if you can figure out where they come from. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, like a drop in a bucket? And that actually comes from Isaiah chapter 40, where it says, behold, the nations are as a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. How about to escape uh, by the skin of your teeth? I mean, your teeth don't have skin, but maybe if you don't brush them for a while, it feels like it, but it means to have a narrow escape, and it comes from Job chapter 19, where he says, I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. And a scapegoat, we talk about that, and it's, it refers to somebody who takes the blame For something that they didn't do, and it comes from Leviticus, everybody's favorite book in the Old Testament, where a goat was chosen to be sent into the desert to make atonement for sin. Now, I'm sure you've heard the expression, to see the writing on the wall. Who knows what book that came from? Daniel, it did. Um, And it means something bad's going to happen, the writings on the wall. How about going the extra mile? It's from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What about washing your hands of the matter? Saying, I don't have any responsibility for something. And we see that in the Passion account where Pilate washes his hands saying, I am taking no responsibility for this man's death. Now, there are a lot of common sayings that we think come from Scripture, but they don't really. Um, Like, to thine own self be true. That's Shakespeare. That's not in the Bible. Um, How about cleanliness is next to godliness? And I'm going to just say, sorry, moms, but it's not there. (laughs) Money is the root of all evil. Well we actually learned about that last week that 1 Timothy 6:10 says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. How about God wants you to be healthy and wealthy? And it certainly sounds good to us and it's spread from many pulpits in America. It's been popularized in books and on TV, but it's not in the Bible. How about God helps those who help themselves? which is theologically incorrect because God helps those who can't help themselves. How about this one? God won't give you more than you can handle. That's our topic for this morning. In an article titled, God Will Give You More Than You Can Handle, written by Dr. Mitchell Chase, who was a professor I had working on my master's that I wrote way too much for, um, he wrote this. He said, Christians... Can make the strangest claims when comforting those who are suffering. What do you say to someone whose life is falling apart? If you have but a few precious minutes with a person who's lost a job, a home, a spouse, a child, or all sense of purpose, what comfort do you give? We we might turn to conventional wisdom instead of Scripture and end up saying something like, "Don't worry." This wouldn't happen in your life if God didn't think you could bear it. And a sufferer may object, head shaking, hands up in the air, but you insist, look, seriously, the Bible promises that God won't ever give you more than you can handle. And there it is. This conventional wisdom masquerading as biblical truth. You've promised someone what the Bible never does. And in case you zone out this morning, maybe if you fall asleep um, during the rest of our time together, I, I'm not saying you will, but it could happen. I want to just give you the sermon one sentence real quickly. God will give you more than you can handle, but he will never give you more Than he can handle. God will give you more than you can handle by yourself, but he will never give you more than he can handle. To be fair, most people who promise that God won't give us more than we can handle, they mean well. Maybe you've said that to somebody. You could argue that the idea comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where, because here's your Greek lesson for today the words temptation and trials. It's actually the same word in Greek. And Paul writes in in verse 13, he says, No temptation, no trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted or trialed beyond your ability. But with the temptation or trial, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, God it does promise us that he will provide a way out when we're tempted, but he never, ever says that he'll shield us from experiencing struggles and pain in life. Paul would later write to the young man Timothy, uh, who he took on as his protege. Um, it's somebody he'd been investing in to, to help him deal with the struggles and the challenges that he was facing and experiencing while he was serving Christ and pastoring a church. He would even tell him, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what I want to do this morning is to tackle this text by going to the context of 1 Corinthians 10, where where what we're going to see is that temptation is clearly in view. So I want to pray we'll read through our text, and then we'll dig into God's Word And see what it has to say to us here this morning. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we've been able to just spend worshiping and praising you. Um, Lord, thank you that Adam has joined us here. Uh, And Lord, I know that God's going to use him and allow us to reach people. And Lord, I just ask that as we go to your word this morning, that our hearts, that our minds that we're receptive to you, to what your word teaches, and that we really do learn the truth that you will allow us to take on and experience more than we can handle. But the point is to get us to depend on you because it will never be more than you can handle. Father, be with us. Allow your word to speak into our lives and help us to live faithfully in obedience to you and to your son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, our text reads, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What Paul's doing here in chapter 10 is he's recounting, he's retelling the history of God's people and how they were just prone and predisposed to fall into sin. God wasn't very happy with their decisions. Um, verse 5, it tells us, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. He's not happy, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And verse 6 even tells us why reading the Old Testament is good for us. He says, now these things took place as an example for us, that we may not desire evil as they did. See, what he's saying is, we're to learn to do the right thing, by looking at what the Israelites did wrong in the past. But there are four specific sins. There are four specific sins that were meant to stay away from that Paul elaborates on here. And the first of those is idolatry. The first of those is idolatry. We see this in verse 7. He says, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down, sat to eat and drink and rose up to play. He says, don't Submit or succumb to idolatry. And then he says sexual immorality. See, the Israelites, they committed idolatry, which often leads to immorality. And we see that in verses eight and nine. It says, We must not indulge in these, as some of them did. And 23,000 people were killed in a day. And the next one's even more difficult it's grumbling. Maybe you don't struggle with idolatry. Maybe you don't struggle with immorality. But it's so easy to become irritable and start murmuring and complaining and grumbling, isn't it? We see that in verse 10. Don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And the last one is pride. The last one is pride. At the core of sin, At at, at the heart of sin is pride, and that's because it's when we think that we know best, that we know what's right and what's wrong, and Paul, what he does is he lets this sink in in verse 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So he's saying there's four types of temptation, idolatry, well that's what we worship, immorality, that's how we use our bodies, grumbling our words. And pride are attitudes. All of these, idolatry, immorality, grumbling, and pride are sins that God's people have always struggled with. And these temptations, these specific ones, are still very real today. So, in light of that, I want to consider and I want to look at verse 13 again so that we really understand what it says. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. it says no temptation. He's saying these four sins and even a whole bunch more, these four sins, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He's he's saying that your temptations and your struggles, they're not unique. They're not unnatural. They're not unusual. Everybody faces these things. He goes on and says, God is faithful. He's saying that you can count on Him. You can depend on His character. Focus in on His faithfulness. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And that's because when you have Christ in your life, when you have Christ in your life and you walk in the Spirit and do battle because you will do battle, you can handle the temptations you face. He goes on, but with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape. And that word escape, it's a great word. It's, it's, it's a military term, and it's about an army who was totally surrounded. And then suddenly, out of the blue, they see and take an escape route so that you may be able to deal with it. He's telling us we can trust Him to give us everything we need to tackle temptation. And there are three things in that verse that can help us deal with temptation and the first of those is we need to look out we need to look out we need to be alert for the temptations we shouldn't be surprised when they come because nobody's immune to them we need to look out but we also need to look up we need to look up we need to put our focus on the faithfulness of god we need to count on his character because we can trust Him. And then we need to look around. We need to find that escape route that He's given us, and we need to take it immediately. So we've established the, that the context of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it, it deals with temptation and God giving us a way out. So what I want to do is come back to that common, to that common quote that won't give you more than you can handle see that phrase is biblically incorrect and it's dangerous for at least five reasons it is dangerous for at least five reasons first it's not true to life or to the testimony of scripture it's not true people face more than they can handle anybody been there some of you are probably overwhelmed right now, today. The next thing is that kind of thinking, it brings God down to our level. We like the saying, we like to hear those words, God won't give you any more than you can handle because it seems fair, doesn't it? it? We like the idea because it seems like the scales, they're in our balance, that things are in our favor. But there are a couple questions that we need to ask ourselves Ask yourself, how can God be limited by our limitations? How could God, who is all-powerful, who has created heaven and earth, be limited by our own limitations? Ask yourself, how can God be limited by how much I can bear and how much I can handle? And then a follow-up question is, Is God's sovereignty weakened? Is He made less powerful by how much I can bear and handle? See, the unfortunate thing about this is that when we're overwhelmed, when we find our life out of sorts, it's so easy to come to the conclusion that God, well, He's let us down. He didn't come through for us. But you need to get this. We are never, ever in a position to evaluate God's actions or weigh His will according to what we think is fair. We need to understand that He's the potter. We're simply the clay that He uses. The next thing that this is dangerous for is that quote, this saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, it elevates our abilities and strength. <laughs> Since when were you called to be Wonder Woman? Since when were you meant to be Superman? We need to just settle down and admit that we don't have what it takes to handle trials on our own. In that superficial saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, what it does is point people inward in self-reliance, in self-dependence, when the Bible points us Godward. Because really one of our greatest difficulties to living a, Christ, a Christian life, it really comes down to our own self-reliance. To say that God won't give us or give me more than I can handle, it, it, it sounds like pop psychology. It, it sounds like something you'd hear on Oprah or some talk show, saying, God helps those who help themselves. Another big problem with this saying is it can make us feel guilty when we struggle. It can really make us feel guilty if we struggle, because then we start asking those questions. If if I can't handle this, maybe I'm not good enough. If I can't handle this, if this is too much to bear, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I just don't have what it takes. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe, Maybe it's me. And we feel guilt. And the last one is this attitude. It steals our joy. When we get to that point, it will steal our joy. When we feel like God has let us down or that there's something wrong with us, then how can we ever put into... uh, We be what James calls us to put into practice in James chapter 1 where he says, Count it all of joy. My brothers, when you meet trials... Of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, we have to ask the question what do we do when we face trials? How do we handle the trials of life? If we move to the book of 2 Corinthians, which is really probably Paul's most personal and emotional letter he ever wrote, Paul's being questioned by the people in Corinth because Paul was going through struggles and stresses. Paul had planted that church in Corinth. He had established it, and now these new teachers have come in suggesting that Paul's suffering is a sign that he's a sinner. And by adopting the culture of Corinth, what they're doing is lifting up their brightest and their best and have come to the conclusion that God wouldn't bring suffering to someone who surrendered to Him. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I love how Paul, even though they're questioning his faith and his service, he still calls them brothers. And it should remind us that all believers, that we're all part of the same family. But I want to dig a little deeper into what Paul's saying. He says, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. He's saying that the trials that we're facing, it's off the charts. It's unbearable. It's more than he could handle. He's saying it couldn't even be measured. There's no way that we could have any hope to endure what's going on. It's like being on a ship that's so full of cargo and people that it is going down fast, and there's no lifeboats. He even says that they despaired of life itself. He's saying it's so bad what we're experiencing that that there is no way that we're going to make it through here alive. He's saying, it's game over. That's how bad it was. And then he summarizes how they felt. He says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul's just saying, Okay, guys, here's the bottom line we're dead men walking. We're not getting out of this alive. We've been given an official death sentence. And my guess is that some of us, while some of us might feel some of those things, most of us have not gone through what Paul and his companions experienced. And I love what comes next. All of this was way more than they could handle on their own. But he says, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I need to say this. Despite popular belief, the Christian life is not a journey from dependence to independence to freedom. Instead, the Christian life is a journey. It's a process of moving from an arrogant self-reliance to a deep spiritual dependence on God for everything. Because when we're miserable When we're out of resources, what happens is we are made to rely on God. And God's purpose in our problems is simply to get us to trust Him. Think about the question that's asked in Psalm 121, verse 1. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And the answer is so wonderful. I love it. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Understand the truth that we worship a God today who raises the dead, which means that he can do anything. Or as Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusted man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 7 said, counters that and said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So listen, God will give you more than you can handle. And that's so that his power can be put on full display in your life. Paul would even write in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for this light, momentary affliction. Imagine what Paul experienced in life. Beaten, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. This light, momentary affliction. How often, when we are facing a trial in life, does it feel light and momentary? But it is. Paul says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because eternity is a lot longer than now. See, the purpose of the trials we face is to get us to put our trust in God. Because God will give you more than you can handle but he will never give you more than he can handle. Do you believe that? If you do, you need to start telling people. You can't tell people that God's not going to give them more than they can handle because God is going to give you more than you can handle so that you realize the truth is that you can't handle it on your own. God will give you more than you can handle so that we will give him the handle to steer our lives. The key the key to the christian life it's not to be strong in our own strength but really to admit that we're weak and powerless see god gives us those tasks those tests those trials that are so much bigger than we are so that we will give him the glory as he works in our weakness in second corinthians chapter 12 Paul says he had a thorn in his flesh. And and we don't know exactly what it was. We don't know what he was struggling with, what was affecting his life. But we know that he asked God three times to take that away. And for reasons only known to God, God didn't take it away from him. Didn't remove that torment. And we know that one result of that is that it kept Paul, it kept him humble. It kept him trusting. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is more than enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, today it's the time. This is surrender to the Savior. To give Him those trials and your tears. And your torment. Give him your pains and your losses. Let him bear your bitterness. Because there's good news you don't have to handle everything that comes your way. You can't. Not on your own. But he can. Are you willing to put all of that in his more than capable hands today? Are you ready to surrender to him? Just give him all of it and give him yourself. Life is hard. Paul says, I'm content with weakness, I'm content with insults, with hardships with persecutions and calamities. He says, because I know when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Because that's when I trust Him the most. This morning, as the worship team comes, I don't know what kind of trials, suffering, or pain that you are experiencing today. But I bet it feels like a lot more than you can handle. Maybe you've lost someone, and it's just unbearable. But you don't have to deal with that on your own. Maybe you have a sickness or an illness, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know how things will turn out. And it is more than you can handle. And it is. But you don't have to handle that alone. Maybe you have family issues, relational issues. Life's hard. But you don't have to depend and rely only on yourself. Because Christ will give us the strength and the ability to be strong, even When we're weak. So today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand the truth that what He did some 2,000 years ago was for you. He came, He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was accused, He was put on trial, and He died a shameful, horrible death on a cross. He was buried But on that third day, God raised him back to life, putting paid to the debt that we owe for our sins. And he did it for me, and he did it for you. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that what Christ did is that he did it for you, and confess your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, Maybe today you are under an unbearable weight of hurt, of loss, of pain, of sickness. Don't go through it alone, because you can't handle it. Today, put that trust and faith in him and understand that he will get you through this. It amazes me that Paul could write that for these light and momentary afflictions that we experience in life, It's nothing compared to the eternal glory we'll find in Christ. So as as the worship team sings this morning, if you need to put your faith and trust in Christ today, I encourage you to do that. And if today that weight is too much for you, if you want to come and just spend time at these steps and say, Lord, I can't take this. It's more than I can handle. Help me. He will I'm going to pray, and I encourage you, do not leave here the way that you want to. Let's pray.
1: Father God, thank
0: you for this morning. Thank you so much for your son Jesus. Thank you for the incredible sacrifice that He made on our behalf. Thank you that He did something we could never do for ourselves. And Lord, I just pray for those who are hurting today. Who are struggling who are under so much weight that it they just can't handle it that lord you help them remind them that that you are there and even though we're weak that's when we can be the strongest thank you again for your son jesus thank you for this today to worship And Lord, just help us be what you call us to be, faithful, obedient, going with the gospel, making disciples, and teaching them everything you've commanded. Lord, we love you, and thank you for your son, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.